Amen, and good morning, Calvary. Good morning to you who are not on TSC Spring Break. Um, good morning to those who are online who are listening from a beach. We're jealous. And so the reality is today, I want to ask the same question, whether you're tuning in online on Spring Break or whether you're here today, do you believe God can move? Do you believe in the power and the impact of what God can do in your life, or is this just something we walk through? We ask that periodically, but I really want us to walk into that space today where we ask ourselves, do we believe that God can move? Because He does care, and He is here. You see, the enemy wants to distract us, and so we can be consumed with the fact that we're not on spring break and a little jealous and a little mad about that. We can be complaining that yesterday it was mid-30s and raining or 40s or whatever it was. It was, no, we don't live in Canada. Why is it so cold here? We could have gotten in an argument with a loved one. We could have uh, had a, a, something like a, a car breakdown or a, a repair in our home. We, the, we, our mind can be consumed with these distractions and, and the ways of this world. But when we encounter the presence of God, do we understand what it looks like to give him everything, to walk with him, to live with him, and to give him control of our life to the place where we sit there and go, God, here I am. Do as you will. That's what we're hoping for today. And last week, if you were here, we talked about the power of communion or the Lord's Supper. And we talked about the idea of we, we want to encounter these moments of Christ where he just shows up and how this should help us walk with Christ every day of our life. And so real quick, a review from last week in case you weren't here. The Lord's Supper was to serve as a feast. It was a reminder of the past and the present. It is a reminder that this moment is not an, an accident. It is God showing up. From the beginning of time, God has had a plan and a purpose, and we are able to carry out that plan and live in communion with Him because of what He's done for us. The Lord's Supper is to serve as a feast. It is a, a moment of reflection, once again, looking to the past and realizing that we are practicing the same practices that Peter did, the same practices that Mary did, etc., etc., the Lord's Supper is to remind us of our need for repentance and grace because God continues to show up to fight the facts back, despite the fact that this world is full of sin and obstacles and trials and problems. And finally, the Lord's Supper unites us to Christ and to one another. We all need that. So, I want you to imagine a time in your life when you really felt the presence of God. Maybe you were at that high school youth camp. Whoop, whoop. You know, the kind of setting where all the high school students are gathered and even the football players are crying and you're like, we're going to win our town for Jesus. And you're so excited. And in that moment, you absolutely mean it. And then before you even get back home on the bus ride home, there's a war that breaks out over who's dating who. Or mom sends that text or in the reality gets troubled. Maybe this was for you as an impactful Sunday morning and you're like, man, this is so excited. An Easter service where God is impacting you and, and before you even get to the car, you're fighting with your kids. And maybe today, maybe God's going to impact you in a mighty way and 
Here's the danger of knowing that is true. While we long for God's presence, and let's be clear, the purpose of walking with Christ is his presence, not an eternity. The eternity is the benefit of getting to spend forever with him in his presence. But maybe you encounter the presence of God today. The reality is you will fall short because this world is full of sin, it is full of distractions, and even the best intended person in the room will at times struggle. So what do we do with that? Well, Jesus was gathered with the disciples in the upper room. And he, to review once again, gives them a warning shot as they are literally in the presence of Christ saying, I'm about to go away. They're, but they're in the presence of Christ and they get to experience him in such a new way. In Luke 22, if you have your Luke journals, turn with us there. If you do not and you don't know what we're talking about, you can just turn your Bible to Luke 22. It's the same thing. Luke 22, verses 21 through 23. And as the communion, the Lord's Supper is wrapping up, we hear the words of Jesus. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Once again, I, I think this would have hit them like, what? Jesus, you're here and, and we're counting you. We're praising you. You're sitting here telling us one of us who has given up everything to follow you. One of us who is in the holy huddle. One of us who is going around with you and seeing you do all these miracles. Who has watched you do amazing things. Who's watched you continually show up day by day with wisdom and power and strength. And one of us is going to betray you. It can't be me because I clearly am all in. I think that's how they felt. So I want us to realize that we all can feel that way at times. And then, thump, we fall on our face. So let's look at it through the lens of Peter. In Matthew 16, 18, Peter is described as the rock upon whom which Christ will build this kingdom. I mean, Peter, that's a cool dude. He's a rock. And, and he was a tough, tough guy, right? I mean, he's... I'm not sure he's the kind of guy you'd want dating your daughter. But, you know, he, he was still really strong and, 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 and stable. And, and he, was, he was all in for the sake of the gospel. In fact, in following Christ, he'd given up a ton of things. He had spent countless hours with Christ. And, and here's some examples of what Peter had sacrificed to follow Jesus. He'd given up his livelihood. He was out doing his job, casting nets. And this man named... Uh, Jesus shows up and says, hey, Peter, come and follow me. And he just leaves the nets. I mean, imagine that. You're all of a sudden at school. Kids are like, please let that happen. I want to leave school, right? All of a sudden, you're, you're at SIA, or, or you're over in the campus of Purdue, or you're at Wabash, or, or you're wherever God has you. And, and Jesus shows up and goes, hey, would you leave your job? And you're like, sure, bouncing, right? Because life's going to be, there would be some scary parts of that, right? He left his livelihood, and thus he left his security. These people had not 
gone from town to town. Most people in Jesus' time grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth. They lived in Nazareth, and they knew they were going to die in, Laz- in Nazareth. So going around and living around this world would have been like, what? What are we doing? So he left his security, and part of that security he left behind was his family and friends. Do you think his parents, if they were still alive, would have been a little disappointed that he had given up the family trade? In a sense, he gave up everything he knew in a moment because there was something about Christ that was so compelling to cause him to go all in. And guess what? He was not disappointed. He had seen God do miraculous things in his life, and he had seen Christ do amazing, wonderful, powerful, breathtaking moments. And Peter was along in this journey. So can you see why Peter might have been a little befuddled along with the other disciples? Befuddled is a great word, by the way. Befuddled. Like, how could one of us, surely not me, kind of mentality? Well, like Peter, many of us had made great sacrifices And we serve God and we are faithful, yet we are still human. And maybe it's because Peter had been hoping for an earthly king. And maybe it was because he was hoping that this would turn out differently than it did. But through this timeline, through these next 12 hours, you're going to see a story unfold where Peter goes from all in to betraying Christ. So let's pick up the story in Luke 22, verses 31. Just after dark. They're still eating around the table. They've just concluded their sermon. I mean, their their meal. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. If you have your Luke journals, maybe you want to underline that. And when you have turned back. I've, I've read this passage tons of times. I don't know that I ever really paid that much attention to those words. And when you have turned back. He was already speaking into his future. Peter obviously didn't hear those words either because he was in denial. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he, you're going to see in just a few moments, meant that. But Jesus responds, I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. I'm sure Peter in that moment was like, how could you say this to me? He was a leader. I mean, this was not a casual attender of the church. But I think Peter missed one very important truth that has been one of the best pieces of advice anyone has ever given me. One of the ways that we guard ourselves from sin is by recognizing we are capable of any sin. One of the ways we guard ourselves from sin is to recognize that we are capable of any sin. Yes, you could be the addict. Yes, you could be the murderer. No, you No, I couldn't. Well, attack my kids and see if I could be a murderer. You could be the one who betrays your spouse. And you could be the one who denies 
Jesus. And one of the ways that we guard ourselves is to recognize that we are capable of any sin. We, we do not outgrow this. In fact, the more that we taste sin, the more likely we are to go back to once you've committed a sin, once you've said that first lie, it's easier to say the second one. And you may not like the fact that you become a liar, but you're going to have to fight it. That's why we need programs. That's why we need ministries. That's why we need counselors. That's why we, because we need help sometimes in the training and the discipline to overcome our sins. But here's the important part. No matter how hard you try, you will still fall short. And this to me is maddening. I want to be all in. I don't want to make mistakes. I want to be the holy person. I want to do this well. But Peter denied and didn't get it because he felt like he was all in. And maybe today you're still that skeptic. I, I couldn't be that person. Well, let's, let's hear what happens in Peter's story. In Luke 22, verses 47 through 51. While he was still speaking in the garden later that night, around midnight, hence the timeline, suddenly a mob came and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now in that moment, if I'm Peter, I'm probably going, it was you he was talking about. See, Jesus, I'm not the one that's going to betray you, but I think they were also really struggling, befuddled, if you will, how any of them could betray Jesus. So what happens? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? I love that. Lord, do you want us to fight for you? Lord, is this how we are to fight our battles, right? But then Peter, and we know it's Peter from John's account, then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Here's Peter going, Jesus, I'm all in. And so he takes out a sword and chops off one of the servant's ears who was coming to arrest Jesus. See, Jesus, I'm all in. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he, he healed him. I mean, talk about confusion. Talk about, now I, I'm sure Peter at this point was tired. I'm sure he was emotionally exhausted. They just had a, a holy time, a communion, a, a, a time of meaningful worship, a time where they were experiencing the presence of God, and his presence was like, right there. And now all of a sudden, life wasn't going the way that they thought it should. It's a question of faith, right? You see, I, I think at that moment, Peter had expected Jesus to be an earthly king, and he wasn't. They expected Jesus to do certain things and surely not die, but they didn't understand the bigger plan, even though Jesus had told them many times. Let's be honest, they were all men, right? They didn't get it. It was somewhat of a joke. No one laughed. And in that moment, they were sitting there going, we, in faith, 
was replaced with the way we think faith should be. And that's a slippery slope. You see, faith is believing what we don't see. And faith is sometimes believing what we don't understand. So maybe you have dreams and visions of how your family will end up, and it won't end up the way that you think it should. Do you still have faith that God has a plan through that? You have faith and dreams for your career, your expectations. What if it doesn't turn out the way that you think it should? Do you still have faith through that? Do you have aspirations and dreams and realities about the way you're going to retire? What if it doesn't work out that way? Do you trust God through that? You may have dreams and aspirations and have hope for what tomorrow may look like, but tomorrow may bring chaos, but God is still sovereign over all of it. And part of the problem we have is sovereign means king, Lord, and what we try to do is we try to be king or queen of our life, and in doing so, we make lousy kings and queens because we were never supposed to be that. We were supposed to surrender our life and follow under his will and his direction. So even when life doesn't turn out the way that we think it should, he is still in control. And sin can creep in really, really quickly when we try to take the reins of our life. So let's pick up the story. Saturday, from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m., I don't know if Peter what age exactly he was, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't a college student, so let's assume he was exhausted. 1 a.m. to 6 a.m., beginning in verse 54. They seized him and led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance, and they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. And Peter sat among them. And when a servant saw him sitting in the light and closely looked at him, she said, This man was with him too. Now, Peter had already been told by Jesus he was going to betray him three times. This man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I'm not, Peter said. And about an hour later, another kept insisting this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, and some of the versions kind of insinuate through the Greek and all that stuff, that he's actually cussing at this point. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. You know, growing up, I thought that was the worst part of this passage. It's not. If you keep reading, then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Ah. <laughs> uh. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He was not only within earshot of the rooster, he was within eyesight of Jesus. Can you imagine those eyes? Here's Jesus in the middle of all these trials. And, 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 and in those moments, Jesus still remembered to look at Peter. And I'm sure at that moment, Peter was like, it's fine if you don't look at me, Jesus. But, but Jesus looks at us even in the midst of our sin. Jesus knows our sins. Think you can get away with something? You can't. He shows up and, 
And in that moment, he, he grieves with us. He, he longs for us to do better. So in a le- span of less than 12 hours, Peter had gone from a really worshipful moment where he professed he would never deny Christ to cutting off a soldier's ear to coming to a place where he denies him three times. If Peter can do that, don't you think you could too? Don't you think I could? Let's not feel like we are holier than we are. So when we gather into the presence of Christ, what we're longing for isn't perfection, but his presence. And here's the good news. Even though we will sin, Jesus still restores. Jesus still restores. You know, the problem with restoration is we don't want to wrestle with it. We don't want to face our sin. Maybe we need to invite Jesus into that conversation like he did with Peter. Jesus restores Peter, and we're going to jump over to John. We've been trying to stay through in Luke, but I want, it's not covered, this story isn't covered in Luke, so we're going to look at John uh, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. So if you have your bigger Bible, you can turn to that or your phone, or you can just look at the words on the screen. But here, the restoration of Peter being taken place. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? By the way, where had he found Peter? Fishing. Why did he find Peter fishing? That's what Peter knew. Do you think that in that moment, he probably thought, well, Jesus isn't going to love me anymore. I'm going to go back to fishing. We don't know that for sure, but it's a decent possibility. So he finds Peter fishing, and he's like, hey, come bring over some fish. They eat breakfast together, okay? And so he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, he told him. So a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you, then shepherd my sheep. This is the restoration. He's saying it's not only restoring you, it's calling to use this restoration for helping build up the kingdom of God. Don't you think that was a little wounding when he said it the second time? But then in verse 17, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Can you imagine the pain that Peter felt in that moment? You see, a lot of times we want the restoration without going through the wrestling. We want the idea that God still loves us without actually facing our problems, facing our sin. And in order to overcome it, you actually have to grieve through that. You have to mourn it. You have to turn it over. You have to give it to him. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 18, truly I tell you that when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told them, follow me. Where have you come in? This week? Have you come in with this idea that you were so holy that you would never walk away from God? Ooh, careful. Because before the garage door goes down, you may lose it with your spouse. 
I'm not trying to wish that on anybody. Or pre- that is not a prophetic statement, okay? Are you walking with God? Be careful. Because the enemy wants to destroy your credibility, your witness, and try to tell you you're not enough. Or maybe you're the other side of that. You're struggling to believe that God loves you at all. You've been wandering and doing things your way. You've been walking the way you want to go. And you show up on Sundays because this is your community. You show up on Sundays because this is what you do. You show up on Sundays and you don't even know why. You're not expecting God to move. You're not expecting God's presence. Because honestly, how could God love someone like you? Yet he does. So today, I want to encourage you, get up and walk with Christ. So a couple of cautions. There's a doctrine, a fancy doctrine, a fancy big word called antinomianism. Don't ask me to spell it. I'm not a good speller. But anti means against. Nomianism means the name against the name And let me caution you that if you say you're following Christ, but you're really not because you really want to be in control of your life, and you show up on Sunday morning and you're like, what's the minimal amount I can give God and still be accepted by Him? If you're not all in with Christ, then you're likely out. You can't say to be professing Christ and not follow Him. A second opposite caution. Some of you, when I said, if you're not all in, then you're likely out, were immediately flooded with the emotions of, oh no, you're my people. The perfectionist, the ones who feels like, if I just try hard enough, I won't do what Peter does. If I just try enough, I will never talk mean to my spouse again. If I just try enough, I'll be the perfect mom or dad or grandparent or friend or employee or or single person or person who is recovering. Or if I just try, I will never, ever fail again. If I just, you won't, child. But don't let that take away from the fact that God still loves you. So how do we how do we do this when we can't be perfect? The evidence of our faith is measured in our willingness to get up and follow Jesus again and again. The evidence The justification, fancy word, is being willing to get up again and again and again and again. Maybe it's been six years since you've gotten up off that mat, spiritual mat, because you just, you're frustrated because you can't figure it out. Hear me. I weep with you. Y'all do realize I'm kind of a perfectionist a little bit. Married to perfectionist. It's a wonderful combination. But I remember going to my mom at a very early age in tears because 
in my dream I had sinned. I don't even remember what it was. I don't know if I'd pushed a kid in my, but I wanted to make it right. I've always seen things so black and white. And I've always wanted to be. And guys, you think sometimes you can be harsh to me and sometimes people can be harsh to me. No one, there's no one in this church who's been harsher to me than myself. No one. And there's times when I struggle going, God, how can you love me? How can I stand up on a stage? Do you see sometimes how I fail as a father? Do you see sometimes how I fail as a husband? Do you see my life, how I fail as a pastor? Yet God loves us. And so I get up and go again and again. Child, please don't give up. Get up. Another way to put it, to quote the author Eugene Peterson, the evidence of our faith is measured in our long obedience in the same direction. Because the goal of our faith isn't mastering Christianity. It's not trying, it's training to be in the presence of God. So we talk about our discipleship pathway all the time. It's a tool that we use to help us stay connected to God. It's learning, training, and community. It's learning what you need to do. Learn that you need to get up. Training is how you do it. And in community is important because sometimes you can't train by yourself. Amen? And sometimes training means you go to celebrate recovery. And sometimes training means you need to go see a Christian counselor. And sometimes training means that you need to have an accountability partner. And sometimes training means you need to go see a doctor. Training doesn't mean you have to do this on your own because God gave us the gift of his spirit in cooperation with his church. And as we draw closer to God and each other, we become more and more like what he wants us to be, which is sitting in his presence. So here's what you're invited to today, to make room for him. To make room for him to do something in your life. To experience a powerful moment of his presence does not mean by the end of the day you won't fall down. But if you do, you're going to get back up because you're going to recognize in that moment of his presence, he is here and cares for you. And you're going to let that Ebenezer type moment, if you've been around here long enough, if you haven't, you're going to let that marker of your faith cause you to say, God is worth it. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep giving up. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep opening my scripture. I'm going to keep investing in community. I'm going to keep trying to, to help my spirit grow in the power of who he is because he is worth everything. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you just a little space to make room for him. Translation, he's going to keep playing while we try to interact with God. If you don't know what to pray, here's what I invite you to pray. God, I want to see your presence. Show me how to do that. If you don't have the right attitude, maybe your prayer is, God, I don't have the right attitude, but I want to have the right attitude. And if you can't even say that, let me encourage you, wrestle with your heart why you don't want to. Because his presence is everything. And finally, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's not going to church that makes you have a relationship with Jesus. It's not even serving that makes you have a relationship with Jesus. You have a relationship with Jesus when you recognize Jesus is Lord and you make him the king of your life and you seek what his will is for your life.
We're going to have some staff and some prayer people who prayer people, prayer team up front at the end of the service. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you more about that. But right now, if you need to just sit where you are, if you want to kneel, if you want to come kneel on this very hard floor, you can. But we invite you to encounter the presence of God to make room for him and let him speak to you as we continue to worship over this next 15 minutes. So make room, even now.